And it just ensures that we're continuing to connect with each other. We're continuing to connect with ourselves. We're continuing to connect with nature and to have these experiences that really make our lives very rich. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew, it's spring. Finally. Finally. And everyone is delighted. Why? Well, especially here in Oklahoma, because winters are cold and oftentimes cold with no fun snow and it's just miserable. But now the spring, the sun comes out, it's warm, the trees are budding. It's, oh my goodness, the brown grass that we've been seeing for months is so verdant. Verdant. What a good word. Isn't that a good word? I don't think that's really in my active vocabulary <laughs> as much as it could be or should be. But yes, the, the winters seem long, but mm-hmm. you know, it's always good. I'm so happy to live in a place where there are seasons. Yeah, because we didn't. Yeah, I mean, we're ex-Californians where it was like an endless summer, except once a year when it would rain. <laughs> exactly. But, well. And because it's spring and we're here in Oklahoma, we can now finally go outside. We could have gone outside anytime we wanted. And truth be told, we, we both did. were outside. Yeah. Yes, but, absolutely. But it's easier now. Yes, it's easier now. And we don't have much time here in Oklahoma because it's going to get hot. blazing hot. Yes. <laughs> but I think we can squeeze in our thousand hours outside, maybe Ooh, in the spring. I don't know. Thousand hours. Yep. That is, uh, why Why are you talking about a thousand hours? Because that's the challenge now, to try and get a thousand hours outside. It's going to be a, a hundred days at 10 hours a day, or 200 days at five hours a day, or 300 days at 3.3 hours a day. Okay, that just was math right there that I don't do. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, we have someone that we can talk to who's going to make this easy for us. Let me guess. It's the thousand hours outside girl. It is. Welcome to our podcast, Jenny. So glad to have <laughs> I love you. it. That is that is my new name, isn't it? Usually people say 1000 hours outside lady, but I like girl a little bit better since my hair starting to get a little gray. So I like that, Andrew. You, but you're young at heart. I mean, because of what you do and believe in your lifestyle, You'll you'll be in the looks way too young to actually be a grandma club. <laughs> that'll, that'll be great. Right around the time I'm hoping to join the looks way too young to actually be a great grandfather club. Oh, well, we love we love IEW and really have been so encouraged by what you do and love seeing you speak at conferences and meet up with you. And I always tell people you are just like the shining star when you walk through these conferences. Everyone is flocking to Andrew and just really thankful for your advice and and your encouragement. And I think I have friends that grew up homeschooled and did IEW 
and they they say they went to conferences when they were kids and you were there. So yes, yeah. That, that okay. Now that I feel even older, um, I think a lot of our listeners know who you are because you have a presence also, not just online but at conferences. We have mutual acquaintances. Uh, who probably don't even know that that you are a mutual acquaintance, but tell us a little bit about you and your history and how you got into this whole idea of motivating families to spend more time outside. And I know uh, I was doing a talk um, years before I met you called Nature Deficit Disorder, which I shamelessly yes. stole the title <laughs> from the author uh, from Richard, Richard Louvre. <laughs> And so when I saw you, it really resonated with what I had been convicted of mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, we're regardless of who we think we are and what we think we are accomplishing, we are all suffering from a disconnect from nature. So how did you get into this? Well, I got into it just from not being a very good mother. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way things go, I think. I really struggled when my kids were little, and I struggled because I wasn't quite sure what to do with them and because the needs of young children were more than I was expecting and really, truthfully, more than I, I felt comfortable even handling. We had three under three at one point, and I just felt like each day was so long and so hard and so difficult. And then it never ended. It didn't end in the night. It didn't end on the weekend. It just never ended. It was this forever feeling of drowning and failing. And so that's sort of how I started my mothering years. And I really struggled because I wanted to enjoy it and I was planning on enjoying it. And I loved my kids, but the day to day was so difficult for me. And so we just didn't even though I didn't know how to plan our days and what to do with our time. And so I was just signing up for all of these different programs, like the in programs that were great, the library program, the swim class, the mom and tot movement, music class, all of these different things. And it was a lot of work for very little payout in our particular situation mm -hmm. to try and corral a bunch of kids into a vehicle and get them out and through the parking lot and no one get their fingers smashed and all the car seats and all the diaper bags and everyone's in a different size diaper and this one spit up and I it was just a thing and I would go and I'd put in this maximum effort for 45 minutes of an activity where they didn't even really want to be there and then do it all in reverse I was just exhausted mm. and it would be 11 in the morning and I think, oh my goodness, I still have seven hours till my husband comes home. So I lived that way for several years. And then I had a friend at MOPS, which is Mothers of Preschoolers, which is one of those, another program that I signed up for, which was really one of my favorites. You're supposed to be able to drop your kids off in the daycare. <laughs> But then my kids never lasted. They were always bringing mine to me crying. But that was the point. And so we met twice a month. And, you know, sometimes you have these things in life that just are happenstance. I love learning Andrew's story about, you know, his path toward being a writer and it includes violin and Suzuki. I mean, we have this, these different things in our life, these different things that seem sometimes even inconsequential. But I had a friend at my table who talked about Charlotte Mason, who was a British educator in the 1800s. And I didn't know anything about her. I didn't even know she was from the 1800s. And this friend at my table told me that she said it like this. She said, Charlotte Mason says kids should be outside for four to six hours a day <laughs> whenever the weather is tolerable. 
And I just remember thinking that was the most outlandish idea. I mean, that's what I thought in my head. I didn't say it out loud because you're like desperately trying to make friends when you've got these little kids. But I just thought four to six hours, first of all, who has time for that? Second of all, what would the kids even do? Because I was used to these shorter programs, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. It's kind of a disaster. <laughs> you know, you're trying to make sure your kid does the craft and doesn't hit the other kid and all these different things. And I thought, well, what would a child do for four to six hours outside? And but she asked me to do it. She says, will you, will you do it? Will you try it? And I thought, goodness, no, I don't want to, but I guess so. And so uh, this is a long time ago, back in 2011, and we had a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and then a, an infant, and she had the same. And she said, here's the plan. We're going to meet at this park from nine in the morning until one in the afternoon. And she said, bring a picnic lunch and a picnic blanket. And I thought, well, that's it. Like, well, shouldn't we be bringing toys and also and action figures and Play-Doh? And should and she said, no, like you just, just, and I thought this is going to crash and burn. What are the kids going to do with just a picnic lunch and a picnic blanket? But what I tell people, and this is the truth, it turned out to be, I say the best day of my life because it was the first good day I had as a mom. And I had just had such a hard time for three years and then I had a good day. And so what ended up happening was we spread out the picnic blanket and we had food and snacks and her older two and my older two, they played. And I mean, it sounds like such a simple thing, but it was, uh, there was no playground. It was just this grassy area, a creek that ran through and ducks and rocks and and they just ran around and I got to sit and have a conversation and we held our babies and the babies slept and nursed and napped and just kind of sat there and it was beautiful and the sun was warm and we left and packed up at one o'clock and I just was so surprised that all of us were refreshed. All of us felt good. The kids fell asleep. It was like a miracle that never <laughs> happened. They all fell asleep on the way home. You know, I drove around for a couple hours, <laughs> like when, when gas was cheaper. And so, you know, and then all of a sudden it's four o'clock and my husband's coming home in a few hours. And so it was this one day and this one concept really that kids should be outside for these extended periods of time. And it changed our entire life. It changed my mothering experience. It ex it changed their childhood experience. And really at the beginning, we completely shifted how we were scheduling our days and we're trying to get out these four to six hour chunks of time whenever the weather was tolerable with a small group of families. We had a little nature group of other like-minded families. There was just a few of them. And we would we were in Metro Detroit area, nothing spectacular. Everything's pretty flat and plain, but it was very life-changing. And in time, I read Richard Liu's book, uh, what you were talking about, Nature Deficit Disorder, but Last Child in the Woods, and, and now have a stack of 100, 150 books that go through the developmental benefits of nature time for children. It helps their cognition. It helps them socially. It helps them physically. It helps them with their emotions. It helps them spiritually, if that something that you're looking for and it also helps the parent it's just as it helps the caregiver it helps the teacher you know it, it helps everyone and so what started out as just being a saving grace for myself for my own sort of mental well-being and learning to be present turned into this thing that was really giving our kids lifelong foundational skills and a lifelong foundational foundation that everything else builds off of and it makes everything else easier in the long run. It helps them with their schoolwork in a myriad of ways to spend time outside. And so 
it started there. I ended up adding up the time that we are spending outside because there were statistics out at the time that kids are outside for four to seven minutes in free play a day, but on screens for four to seven hours. Wow. Mm. So four to seven minutes versus four to seven hours. And Andrew rattled off his math facts yes. earlier. So <laughs> that's amazing. I'm kind of a numbers person. I, uh, I've got a math degree. So I was just curious. Out of curiosity, how much time are we getting outside? We had this little nature group. We were outside for about 18 to 20 hours a week, which added up to 12 hundred hours a year. And at that time, that was the exact amount of time that kids were on screens and 1200 hours a year. And it, it stopped me in my tracks because we are not anti-screen. We use screens. Our kids like YouTube and all of the things that kids like, but it made me realize what we would have missed had those 1200 hours gone to screens and not to out to outside time. And so I called it, I decided I'm going to call this 1000 hours outside because it's a little catchier than 1200 hours outside. <laughs> but just this premise of returning balance, a premise of returning balance to childhood between real and virtual and, and returning balance really to all of our lives between real life and virtual life and making sure that we are modeling how important it is to set aside the two-dimensional world, to set aside screens and to live in nature and to have all those experiences to connect and also just this part of how important it is for kids' development. So there's a lot to it. And we've been living this way for over a decade, which means our kids have spent 10,000 hours outside in the last 10 years. Nice. And it just is an answer to a lot of modern parenting problems. It has worked for us ages three all the way to our oldest is now 14. And it just ensures that we're continuing to connect with each other. We're continuing to connect with ourselves. We're continuing to connect with nature and to have these experiences that really make our lives very rich. Now, I know there's got to be some listeners right now who are thinking, you have a 14-year-old, you're homeschooling, that's like high school, but you're still able to get three to four hours average a day outside what about the schoolwork? So the question, obviously, is do your kids do schoolwork outside or do they just have other things they do outside and they manage to fit all their schoolwork into their day without that time? I, I'm sure it varies, but how do you integrate the outside time and the need for getting your academics in? Well, the interesting way to look at it is that I believe that learning, movement is learning. And so I think that for so long, and maybe this is where the biggest misconception is, is that when we think of learning, we think of sitting and we think of bookwork and we think of chalkboards and we think of classrooms and desks. And there is this phenomenal book called Smart Moves by a pediatric occupational therapist named Dr. Carla Hannaford. And the subtitle is why learning is not all in your head. And the point of the book, and she has this really cool statistic in there, Andrew, where she says elderly people who dance regularly have a 76% less chance of developing Alzheimer's and, dem and dementia. Elderly people who dance regularly have a 76% less chance of developing Alzheimer's and dementia. And so this is a this is a big stat, right? I'm like, I want a 76% less chance of developing that. And all I have to do is dance. You know, it's an interesting thing. But what she talks about in the book is that when we engage in complex movements and increasingly complex movements, it helps our brains 
work more productively. The wiring and the pathways, they just become faster. And so she has that book. And then Angela Hanscom, who's also a pediatric occupational therapist. These are people who are on the front lines of seeing the decline in skills of children over the past several decades and seeing the wait list for occupational services. She, in her book, talks about sort of similar hours to Charlotte Mason, that even through the teenage years, that teens should be getting three to four hours of outdoor play and movement a day. So it's a little bit of a shift in terms of what we value and knowing that that movement and our kids as they get older, now we have a 14-year-old, so he's out shooting hoops and they're riding bikes and they're doing these tricks on their skateboards. And so the complex movements continue as long as they have the time and the space. But we're looking at it over the course of a year. We're looking to be outside for a thousand hours over the course of a year because there are different seasons. And you're in Oklahoma, we're in Michigan. It's, of course, easier for us to get outside in the summer than it is in the winter, the fall. Actually, the fall is really nice in Michigan. But so over the course of the year, we're just having that as a priority. And by having it as a priority, we are able to fit other things in around it. And our high schooler loves IEW. We love the fix-it grammar. That's one of our favorite things. But we have that and we have all sorts of things that we use that work for our family. But for us, I think that balance is still important and remembering that there is value in both the learning that we do at a desk but also the learning that happens when we're moving our bodies and when we're outside in nature and having these different sensory experiences and even these different social experience these different social experiences so i don't know it's just a little bit of a different way to look at learning and it has worked for our family one of the things that came to me as i was reading richard loof's book was my own childhood. And I compared my own childhood with the experience my children were getting and then other people's children. And I realized probably from the age of about 12, 11 or 12, when I could freely wander outside without supervision until I got a car. So probably a good four-year period of time. It was kind of like life began when school was over, Mm -hmm. because then you could ride your bike and explore. And we lived near a school, an elementary school. And so that was kind of like this huge area that was accessible. And Southern California, we really didn't have winter. So, you you know, all, Mm -hmm. all year, really, I would be outside for as much of the afternoon time as I could, which probably averaged two to three hours from say, you know, three to six, my father would get home, we have to have dinner, and then you do homework at night. And I just, I look back on that as being so rich, whether it was just climbing a tree or sitting on top of the roof of one of the buildings at the school uh, or pick up football games with kids or, you know, as I got a little bit older, one of the things that really struck me is that when I was probably 13 or 14, my mother never knew where I was. I, I would just mm. get on my bike and I would go wildly crazy far away places. There were no cell phones. There was no no need to be in communication. And I knew when I needed to be home. And this level of freedom that I grew up with, I think is very hard for parents today to even be willing to think about, let alone actually implement. And so I'm sure you've intersected a little bit with this. And Richard Louvre talks about the impediments to 
having more time in nature, one of those being, you know, the the fears and constrictions that more modern parents place on their children. Do you mm-hmm. have comments or thoughts about that? There's a lot of people who write about that. Lenore Skenazy has a book called Free Range Kids. Yes, I loved that. Yeah. I could not believe she didn't go to jail for writing that book. <laughs> <laughs> she was dubbed America's worst mom because she let her child go home on the subway. I don't remember what age, maybe eight or nine, maybe 10 mm-hmm. even. And she was dubbed that and he wanted that challenge and came home exhilarated. And so she has this whole program called Let Grow where we have to step back and let our kids grow. And she partners with this man, Dr. Peter Gray, who has a book called Free to Learn, which was a life-changing read for me. And he talks a lot about that freedom component. And Lenore, and they have this organization together called That Grow. But they do talk about the fact that crime is down, that we see these things on the news and they're, they're really made to incite fear and that Overall, the crime statistics are down from what they used to be. There's never been a safer time to go out and play. It takes into account the fact that there are much less kids even playing outside. But their point is is that kids can go. But then I think for our particular situation, the tricky part is that there is no one else outside. And that was how things used to be, that the neighborhood kids would all get out and play. And that was sort of- All be on the street. Yeah, yeah everybody all, yes, would be my, Yes, my father-in-law grew up on a street with a bunch of bungalows. And he said, you know, within the first 10 houses on either side, there was something like 78 kids. You know, so it was built into the cultural fabric and it's not anymore. And so for a long time, I felt a little put out as a mom. I felt, well, goodness, what if I could just shoo my kids out the door and there's 20 kids for them to go play with? And this is not the way things are, but what really it's doing is it's providing me an opportunity to also get that nature time. And so this is a gift. I mean, we're in a really technological age. There's a lot of pressures on mothers, working parents, all of these different things. And so what used to seem like a drag now feels a lot like a gift that I have an opportunity to go to. And so then what it becomes is we get together with a group of families, Maybe the mothers or the parents are off on the sidelines and the kids are playing and they get a little bit of that sense of freedom. You know, as our kids have gotten older, they're allowed to go bike and they walk the neighborhoods and things like that. So they are getting a sense of that. But it's interesting, Dr. Peter Gray, he ends that book, Free to Learn. You're going to think this is crazy, Andrew. He ends the book and he talks about how his son, this is in the 80s. So it's a long time ago, but not that long ago. In the 80s, his son wanted to go to Europe. He was super into Dungeons and Dragons. He wanted to go see all these sites he learned about. And so he requested to his parents, can I go to Europe? And I'll figure out how to make the money and I'll figure out how to buy the plane ticket and I'll figure out the lodging. You know, this is back before Airbnb for the internet. And they said, and he's a a type one diabetic. So they were kind of concerned about his health. And so they finally said that he could do it and he could go for two weeks and they would drop him off at the airport and they would pick him back up in two weeks. He did a collect call or two. He was 13 years old. Wow. Oh my word. Wow. <laughs> no. That's the modern day equivalent of uh I bet you know the book Bud and Me about the Abernathy yes, brothers. Yes, I bought that one based off of your suggestion. Yeah. Oh, gosh. that That is a scary, mind-blowing book, but I do recommend it to people. So, I, you know, it takes, I guess, today a level of courage and mm. faith 
Yeah. Just much more. Yes. And there are great things. There's great things out there. Like there's this company called Cosmo Technologies and they make a smartwatch for kids. And it's just for that. It can call 911 if you fall off your bike, if there's an emergency. I guess maybe you wouldn't call 911 if you fall off your bike. But if there was an emergency, <laughs> it's, it's got these things built into it so that you can communicate if you're in trouble. And I think there's this book out by Mike Lanza called Playborhood which is a take on neighborhood and just bringing back play to the neighborhood. And I think that's something that parents can strive to do if parents are scared to have everyone get a little smartwatch and let the go, let the kids go play at the park for an hour. I think with Peter Gray, I mean, none of us are sending our kids to Europe for two weeks. That time period has come and gone. But even just reading that, it challenged me to really think through my own fears. Like sometimes I'm like, I'm exaggerating what might happen. This guy sent his kid to Europe for two yeah. weeks in the 80s. You know, I can let my kid bike the neighborhood if they have a smartwatch on. I mean, all of these different things. And so I just remind you, he talks a lot about how, and kind of what you were saying earlier, Andrew, that when you talk to people about their core golden sort of childhood memories, that most of them were in this spot of freedom when there are not adults around and when kids are in their own worlds, making up their own things and that those pieces of childhood are important and we got those pieces of childhood. And so it's important that our kids at least get some sort of a taste of that as well. Well, and you know, I'm, I'm understanding from people, I'm not in that world really, but even schools have really cut back on the opportunity for kids to be outside on a playground, you know, on the blacktop, the the whole sports. Like, let's do everything in the gymnasium so right. that these kids are easy to supervise and control because a, a five-acre playground is too hard. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of tragic, too, because I think a lot of teachers, they just look at their little room full of eight-year-olds thinking, we're done. They need to be outside, mm-hmm. but they can't they can't do that. The right. the constrictions on the schedule and the space and all that. Yeah, it is very tricky. And when you were talking about, you know, playing outside from three to six in the afternoon, Angela Hanscom, who I talked about earlier, who wrote that book Balanced and Barefoot, she says she polls people when she goes and speaks different places. How much time do you think you got outside as a child? And people would say the same as you. They would say, look, I walked to school. We walked to school. It took an hour, you know, or half hour. So an hour both ways. And then we had three different recesses. I mean, I remember in elementary school, we had recess in the morning. We had a recess at lunch. We had recess in the afternoon. They were all at least 30 to 45 minutes. And then we played outside in the afternoon when we got home until dinner. And so that was sort of built into the social fabric was that kids did get that time outside. And now we're looking at the statistic of four to seven minutes. And so even inside, I think even inside. So for the teacher who says, look, our, we live in an urban area. We don't have a safe, a safe space for our kids to go roam on an outside playground. It's this thought that play, free play, unstructured, undirected, free play. I don't even know if that's a word and I'm super self-conscious about saying the wrong words <laughs> on IEW podcast. You mean free free play? <laughs> well, if it isn't a word, it should be. So we'll just declare it. But the play where where the adult does not direct it and the child gets to dive into their imagination. That can happen anywhere. 
that can happen indoors. I remember PlayStations when I was in kindergarten where there was all sorts of stations set up where you could go play. Different kind of PlayStation that our listeners immediately thought of, yeah. which is, and I, you know, as, as you guys are talking, I think, you know, Andrew, you mentioned a couple barriers to this and the, the courage that it takes, but it also takes conviction yeah. and a plan. And I think that's what you give us, Jenny, is a plan to at least start the idea that you can spend more time outside. Maybe in 2023, a thousand hours right. isn't possible, but maybe a hundred yeah. is, maybe next year it's 300 and you've got a couple books. I want you to just spend a couple minutes to talk about the resources that you have available to help our listeners pick up the mantle yeah. and do this because mama says, whenever you say yes to something, you have to, to say, say no, no to something, something else. else. So what are we saying no to Jenny? But more importantly, what are we saying yes to? Well, it's interesting. I, I think that we're not saying no to as much as we thought because it's it's just a different way to look at our time because it does help kids with their cognition. It is like doing schoolwork. And because it helps kids with their social skills, I mean, Kim John Payne has a book called Simplicity Parenting, where he says the primary predictor of success and happiness in life, which is, is a big statement. I don't know who feels bold enough to come out and say, here's the primary thing. The primary predictor of success and happiness in life is how well we get along with mm -hmm. others. And that's what you learn when you play without adult direction, because you're constantly having to compromise and kids are intrinsically motivated to keep playing. And so they're learning how to negotiate and they're learning how to assert their will, but in a way that doesn't turn off other people. And so, so much is happening during play. It's a different way to use your time and you can take your schoolwork outside. You can take your IEW books outside when the weather's okay and just do them at a picnic table or that type of thing. And you're still getting that full spectrum sunlight. You're getting the surround sound of the nature sounds. So it doesn't have to be a hike or anything remotely spectacular. It can be the simple things. Take your books outside and read in a hammock, sit against a tree and read your book. So there's a lot that you can do. We have a website, 1000hoursoutside.com, where we have a lot of resources. We have a kickoff pack that has hiking prompts and picture book lists and adventure prompts for each month of the year. We have tracker sheets where we actually keep track. I love that. The checklist. <laughs> yeah, we keep track because you know what? This is something to celebrate in this day and age where, where we're saving time for these hands-on real life moments and it's modeling to our kids. It's giving them a tool for how to maintain balance in their life between screens and real life. So we have that on our website. And then I have a couple books, a couple that I self-published. I have a book called, well, this is the problem. They all have the same name. <laughs> uh, this is what happens when you're a non-creative person who enters a creative space. So I have a thousand hours outside activity book that we self-published back in 2020 that's available on our website. And then a book called 1000 Hours Outside that's just a book for parents that explains the vision and what really is going on when we get our kids outside. That's also called 1000 Hours Outside. And then, <laughs> and then just this past December, I had a book come out through DK Publishing called 1000 Hours Outside, Activities to Match Screen Time with Green Time. So DK Publishing makes really cool books and it's filled with hundreds of activities that parents could do outside with their kids. It's great for kids to look through and see all the hands-on ideas in there. And then I have a book coming out in November called Until the Streetlights Come On. 
And so that will be out this November 2023 about how a return to play brightens our today and sets kids up for an uncertain future. So we have a lot of things that could help parents, things that are free, uh, also things that you could buy like a book and have this presence of reminding myself. I have to remind myself and reminding others that what the child finds worthy is worthy and that we can slow down and yet gain more and that nature provides something for every age, every day, and we can get a lot out of our time in the outdoors. Yeah, there's a Latin saying multum imparvum, meaning there's more in less. Wow. And so, you know, when we simplify, when we prioritize well, when we just say no to unnecessary complexities. And, you know, a couple of thoughts to finish up on my side is, number one, I love the fact that God used you mm. in this time of hardship and despair and overwhelm as a young mom with you know, three kids under three, good heavens, to create something now that is influencing thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of other children for good. And, you know, we just see that story and you just, you just love it because, you know, it's, it's like you would never have woke up one morning and say, oh, let me write books and create a podcast and do a business about this. But because you had that need, look at mm -hmm. what's happened. Another thing is this is a generational effect as well. Because I'm certain that kids who grow up having this larger amount of time outside and doing all these activities and, and getting that really wholesome, healthy, emotional stability and foundation, they're going to be promoting this, if not doing better with their children. And so you can look at this and you're not old enough to necessarily think about, you know, generational repercussions. But I assure you, mm. uh, as you get older, you will be probably amazed at you'll, you'll meet young moms who say, yeah, I, I was a kid and I was 10 years old and my mom read your book. You wow. know, that's going to be very, very exciting for you. One last thing that comes to mind, I think we have several mutual at least virtually mutual acquaintances, one of them being uh, Katie Wells of Wellness Mama. Mm -hmm. And I've followed her for some time and been interested to see what would she say is the most important thing? You know, of all the things you could prioritize, mm -hmm. nutrition, exercise, lighting, you know, you know what she put as the number one best thing to help your kids learn better? And And we had her on our podcast and this is when she said this. Yeah, she said this. Morning light. Yeah. Outside, Outside morning light. I got on the, the phone to talk to my son. Oh, did you? That. Yes. Oh, I told the him. most important thing yeah. if yeah. you want your kids to be able to learn better and function well, it, better. It helps their whole body systems and it helps ours. That's the thing. And I think with homeschooling, and I know some of your audience is home educating or for public school teachers, that morning light enhances our mood and then it resets all these body systems. So if there's any way possible, I think that as a culture, we tend to get the work done first and leave the leftover time for play. But if we can flip that a little bit and even just get our kids out for our classrooms, our, our children out for 10 to 15 minutes before noon, then that's going to shift everyone's mood. It's gonna help everyone's body systems align with the circadian rhythm. And it really is a powerful thing. And and Julie, you pointed out it's spring. So this is the time to start 
new habits mm-hmm. to change your home or classroom culture. Then once it gets to be getting cool again, mm-hmm. uh, or when it gets too hot, you know, it's too hot. No, get out early. It's enough, never it's too hot. I mean, most of humanity lived without heating or air conditioning for pretty much. <laughs> all the history of the world. So we can do it too. I wish we had so much more time because you are just a a wealth of information and ideas. And I appreciate you sharing what you, you could with us. And I just encourage everyone to go to 1000hoursoutside.com and you've just curated so many wonderful resources. Which is going to keep us busy with our show notes this time. Lots oh, yeah. Of great links Lots of great include. links. So please check us out on our website, iew.com slash podcast. You'll see these notes. Jenny, what a delight to have you share with us. Thanks so much for having me. It was fantastic. And I will look forward to to seeing you again at a homeschool conference in Michigan in a very short time. So Yes, in person. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Here you can also find show notes and relevant links from today's broadcast. One last thing. Would you mind going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast? This really helps other smart, caring listeners like you find us. Thanks so much.